0: Please stand for the reading of God's word. We will be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 28, into the 8th chapter of Matthew to verse 4. So Matthew 7, 28, to Matthew chapter 8, verses 4. Then when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone But go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. You may be seated. Well,
1: as Jonathan read for us, we are coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 8, 1, Jesus will conclude his teaching and he's going to descend from the mountain that he ascended back in Matthew 5, verse 1. And as we close out chapter 7, we see that Christ's sermon has greatly impacted those who heard it. We read that they were astonished at his teaching. Particularly, they were astonished at the authority of his teaching. Now, the book of Matthew is going to follow up this Sermon on the Mount by presenting us with a series of miraculous works that demonstrate Christ's authority not only in teaching, but over sin and over sickness, over the weather, over demonic spirits. And in our passage, we're going to see that Jesus' authority over the most dreaded disease in his day. And by this event, we're going to be reminded that we too were healed by Christ by our greatest affliction, which is sin. So as we examine these verses together, we're first going to consider Christ's authority, secondly, Christ's compassion, and then finally, our response. So let's look first at Christ's authority. (coughs) Looking again at uh, the end of chapter 7, verses 28, and we'll read to the first verse of chapter 8. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Now note first that the crowd's reaction to Jesus' marathon of a sermon was that they were astonished at his teaching. They were astonished. And then, as is often the case, our English word does not fully capture what's being communicated in the original Greek here. The word translated as astonished means to strike. To strike one with shock or or to cast someone off with a blow. So you could be faithful to the original language and say the crowd was blown away by Jesus' teaching. This is essentially what is being said here. They're so impacted by his great wisdom and authority, it's as if they were knocked backward in surprise, and in shock from it. And what is the element of Christ's teaching that struck them so forcefully? Well, we see that he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees, they would not teach in their own name but rather they would cite other great rabbis that had instructed them had come before them. The Talmud is full of examples of this where rather than say, I say to you or I teach or I declare or whatever, they're going to say, as the rabbi so-and-so has said and then present a teaching. They didn't teach under their own authority, but they appealed to the authority of others in order to gain their listeners' trust and attention. Now contrast that with what we see in the Sermon on the Mount. Time and time again, Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And in doing that, he's not only mentioning or referencing the teaching of men, he is quoting scripture, and then he is giving his authoritative interpretation and the right application of scripture, correcting the views taught by the scribes and the Pharisees of the day, and he's not citing the teaching of another, but he is declaring and demonstrating his absolute authority as the word made flesh. And so it's no wonder that we see that great crowds followed him as a result of his authoritative teaching. Now, what percentage of these crowds were really understanding that he was the long-awaited Messiah? That's not something that we're able to speculate on. But at the very least, they recognized Jesus to be a great teacher and one who they desired to hear more from. They were drawn to his authority. Now, certainly, Christ's authority is not limited to the area of teaching. As we see in the next verses, Jesus also has authority over sickness, no matter how serious that sickness might be. Let's look at the first or the uh, second and third verses of chapter 8. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Now, this verse begins with, Behold, which tips us off that something remarkable is about to take place. Several times in Matthew's gospel, you'll see this word, behold. For example, it precedes uh, each appearance of the angel of the Lord in the earlier chapters. We, we read the word behold just before the heavens were opened up and God said of Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So behold is a word that really tells us to, to pay attention and to note what comes next in the text. It's something truly remarkable and amazing. Behold, a leper has come into a crowd and he's approached Jesus. Now, why is it that this word that previously is used to announce the arrival of angels or even the the audible uh, voice of God himself, is this so amazing that this too is began with the word behold? Well, to understand why this is so remarkable, we have to be reminded of what leprosy is and what that meant for someone in Jesus' day. Now, in our day, leprosy still exists. It's known as Hansen's disease, and it's, it's quite treatable. Uh, people can live a full and fairly normal life with it, though the effects of the disease can never be reversed until it's caught and, and stopped. But in Jesus' day, this was about the most feared disease that there was. Leprosy was a debilitating, a destructive, and an isolating disease. It would first appear as as small, tiny specks and marks on the skin, but it would soon turn into great sores and open lesions. The disease would continue to wreak havoc on the body until they became deformed in their features. It would work its way down even into their bones. Fingers, toes, and even hands would eventually fall off at the joints. To have leprosy was to rot away a little at a time and perhaps even worse is the fact that that leprosy didn't truly just kill you you would live many 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 years in isolation in uh, a great deal of shame in this culture and with increasing increasing severity of the diseases it took a toll on your body and so lepers they were removed from society altogether they were forced to live apart from everyone except for fellow lepers. And if they were in an area with others, they would have to shout, unclean, unclean, as they moved about, so that others would stay away. Many times, in order to make sure they stayed away, if people saw a leper, they would throw rocks at them to make sure that they did not come near them. It was a terrible and isolating disease. To contract leprosy was to be dead while you still lived. We get a sense of that in 2 Kings 5. The king of Syria sent Naaman to the king of Israel to be healed of his leprosy. The king of Israel, he tears his clothes and he exclaims, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. The king of Israel, he thought that was a trap. It was so impossible that it was as if he was being called to kill and to make alive again. To be healed of leprosy was, in a very real sense, to be restored to life. And without such miraculous healing, the leper was cast out of all society. He was kept away from others and destined to be only with other lepers until eventually you died with the condition It was incurable. And this man in Matthew 8 was such a man in a miserable condition as this. His disease was so advanced that Luke's gospel described him as being full of leprosy. This is not a man at the early stages of the disease, maybe just now noticeable to others. No, this is a man who is full of leprosy. You could not look at him without being aware that this man was a leper. And yet, despite all this, despite all the rules and regulations about staying away from crowds, the leper approaches Jesus and he kneels before him. Luke tells us that he fell on his face before Jesus and said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. That is, you you can heal me. The leper knew that Jesus had the power to heal him but he was unsure of Christ's willingness to heal him. The man made no presumption on Jesus' intention, nor did he show any entitlement that he deserved to be healed. What a lesson we have here in the actions of the leper who knew he was in a terrible condition, and he knew where to be rid of it, even though he didn't deserve it. And it would do no good for him to go on in life as though he didn't have leprosy or to pretend that his leprosy was not deadly serious. In the same way, it is no good for the sinner to pretend that he is not separated from God and destined to further degradation and ultimately damnation because of his lost condition. Rather, the sinner should come to Christ and to seek healing and forgiveness. We read in 1 John 1, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. On a physical level, this is just what this leper is doing, approaching the only one who had the authority and the ability to cleanse him. And what takes place next reveals that Jesus is not simply a man with authority in his teaching, but he has authority over all things. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. The authority of Christ knows no boundaries or restraints, As God the Son, he has full and complete control over all things. As he later reveals in Matthew's gospel, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And the miracles of Christ, they attest to his being God the Son, made flesh and dwelling among men. And these are the aspects of Christ's ministry that force those around him to stop and ask themselves, what manner of man is this, that he does not only teach with great authority, but illness disappears at his command? The wind and the waves obey him, and the demons tremble at his name. Now the leper was confident of Christ's ability to heal him perhaps from hearing as authoritative a teaching. Maybe he was nearby on the outskirts of the crowds during the Sermon on the Mount and he approached him as he descended. Perhaps he witnessed some miracle or heard tell of some miracle performed at Jesus' hand, but whether or not Jesus would take pity on him and use his power and authority to cleanse him was not yet known. And what he discovered is what we shall examine next, and that is Christ's compassion. Let's consider Christ's compassion. There's more to be seen here in this miraculous healing of the leper. Let's look at it again, verse 2 and 3 of chapter 8. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. The leper was so certain of Christ's ability to heal him, that he approached Jesus in the midst of a crowd. Something that was strictly forbidden and he pleaded for healing. And yet he was not certain of Christ's will in the matter. And so he framed his request accordingly. If you will, you can make me clean. That is, if it is your will, if it is your desire, you can make me clean. You can heal me. And what is it that he found? The leper encountered the great compassion of Christ. Mark's gospel prefaces the healing by saying, moved with pity. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Perhaps the NASB says it better by overcoming the connotations that our modern English word pity carries, usually something that is is slightly negative. The NASB says, he was moved with compassion. The phrase here reveals that Jesus did not merely have an affectionate disposition towards the man, but he was overcome with emotion. He cared for him deeply. Jesus was compassionate towards the leper who demonstrated this faith in his ability to heal him. This compassion is not seen only in the fact that Jesus does indeed heal him, but in the manner in which he does so. What do you note about how Jesus heals this man? And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus touches the leper. This man who was banished from all society because of the infectious disease he bore in his body, who had to shout, unclean, unclean, wherever he went so people could avoid being within 10 feet of him, who couldn't come within 10 feet of his family members, who could only be close relationally with other lepers, was touched by Jesus Christ. Who knows the last time that this man received a touch at anyone's hand? This is remarkable because Jesus did not need to lay a hand on him in order to heal him. As we'll see in the healing of the centurion's servant, it's not even necessary for Jesus to lay eyes on someone in order to heal them. And yet Jesus move with compassion, deliberately sets his hand on the leper. Such great love and compassion demonstrated by our Lord. And instantly, he cures him of his disease. He restores to him all that was lost as a result of it. His physical health, his spiritual cleanness, his intimate relationships, and so much more would have been restored to this man. Jesus was able and he was willing to heal the one who is inflicted with a fatal disease with no hope of obtaining a cure by any other means, merely with a touch and a command, be clean. And what in all other circumstances would have defiled the one who touched the leper instead made the leper clean. Is this not a picture of our own encounter with Christ? We who were not just specked and spotted by sin, but were fully sinful ravaged by an affliction that unless Christ should intervene would bring us nothing but degradation in this life and damnation in the next. But in Christ we find that for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And when we place our faith in Christ and his provision for our sin on the cross, we know that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, 1 John 1.7 tells us. All need to be cleansed by Christ as much more than this leper did. Leprosy, though terrible in its own right, is often used in Scripture as a parallel and a picture of sin and its devastating effects. To be a leper was not only to be physically unwell, but spiritually and ceremonially unclean. To have touched a leper was second only to having touched a dead body in making you ceremonially and spiritually unclean in Israel. In Isaiah 1, verses 5 and 6, the prophet describes the wickedness of Judah in terms that parallel the symptoms of leprosy. Leprosy as a disease would permeate the whole body, destroying the flesh from the inside out and bringing about physical death, while sin permeates all of us, destroys body and soul, and brings about spiritual death. And just as the leper had no hope, at least at this point in history, of being cured apart from a work of God, so too the sinner is utterly hopeless apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ. And as was the case with this leper, there may be apprehension on the part of some in coming to Christ. Not out of a question of his power to save, but of not knowing his willingness to do so in their case. As it was with the leper, writes John Gill, thus it is with poor, sensible sinners under first awakenings. They can believe in the ability of Christ to justify them by his righteousness, cleanse them by his blood, and save them by his grace to the uttermost but they stick at and hesitate about his willingness by reason of their own vileness and unworthiness. But oh, what great compassion there is to be found at the hand of our Savior. Though we were indeed vile in our sin and unworthy of his intervention, Christ did not shrink back from and reject the loathsome sinner but instead beckon to us, come, and he stretches out his hand. When any approach Christ, made aware of their miserable condition by the work of his spirit, and they humbly seek healing and forgiveness at his hand, they will find him both willing and able There are none yet who came to Jesus with true motives, seeking him in repentance and faith, and found him less than compassionate towards them in their grave affliction. Not once has someone under conviction of their sin by the Spirit heard from his lips, I will not. Rather, As we read in John 6, 27, Jesus says, all that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. It is this reason that we know him as the great physician. When he rebuked the Pharisees for criticizing his association with sinners, Christ replied, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous but sinners. Though they be as full of sin as this man was full of leprosy, all can find healing in Christ. And as this man went from being full of leprosy to being made well and whole in an instant, so too can the sinner become a saint in an instant by the compassionate work of Christ. And truly, This is an amazing miracle, both the physical healing, but more so the spiritual restoration that takes place by Christ. And what are we to say to such great things? What is the proper response to such power and authority and compassion? Well, let's consider what our response ought to be. Looking at verse 4. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Having cleansed him from his leprosy, Jesus gives that maybe perhaps unexpected instruction. He says, don't stop and tell anyone about this, but go directly to the priest and offer the sacrifices that are prescribed in the law of Moses. Well, what is that? Well, in Leviticus, we see that upon examination and being found to be free from leprosy, two birds would be brought, one to be sacrificed, the other set free. And doing so, this man who was healed by Christ, he would be following the law. Jesus said he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so he would serve as a testimony to the priest and others of the healing power of Jesus. He was truly healed of his leprosy. And that part is perhaps not so surprising. What is surprising is that the healed man is instructed to say nothing to anyone. Well, why is this? This is not the first time that Jesus insists on someone not revealing who he is or what he has done, or at least not doing so until the time was right. In Matthew 16, 20, we read that he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. In Mark 7, after healing a deaf and mute man, Jesus charged them to tell no one. In Luke 8, After raising Jairus' daughter from the dead, we read, Her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Wouldn't Jesus want everyone to know that he was truly the Messiah as evidenced by his miracles? And yet there are reasons why, at times, Jesus told those around him not to proclaim to others who he was. Remember that Jesus is operating on a divine timeline. His ultimate purpose in coming was to die for our sins and when and how and where that would take place was all under his authority and his timing. And so it suited his purposes in some instances not to have his miracles talked about so as not to interfere with that timeline, not to interfere with that great work that he came to do, either by enraging his enemies before the time and riling them up to to kill him earlier than was intended, or as we see in other areas of Scripture, encouraging others who misunderstand his mission to come along and and perhaps even make him king. We see Jesus slipping away for those things. We see also that Jesus not does not care to have people following him simply to see some miraculous work, but rather to follow him for the truth of the gospel that he is declaring. Another reason is made clear in Mark's parallel account of the miraculous event that we're looking at here in Matthew. After being charged to go right to the priests and not tell anyone, we read in Mark 1.45, but he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news So that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Such great crowds followed after Jesus and made it difficult, if not impossible, to enter into towns. Instead, Jesus has to stay in more desolate areas and often went to be alone to pray. And so in order to prevent such interference with his ministry, he at times charged people not to tell others about him. But it's clear from this verse in Mark that the crowds came because the former leper disobeyed Jesus' command and rather than saying nothing to anyone, he shared everything with everybody. And of course, we cannot condone any disobedience to our lord's command it is in fact tragic that this man's first act after being healed by christ was to disobey him but while we do not condone it we certainly can understand it this man's life and health were restored he was made physically relationally spiritually whole again in an instant and so it's no wonder that he had a ready answer for everyone who asked how it was that he was healed. It is no wonder that he told everyone he met along the way about the greatest thing to ever happen to him. It is no wonder that his outward joy and excitement led, many, led to many opportunities to share with others what had taken place. Can the same be said of us? This man was commanded to remain silent, yet he could not because of the joy of his divine healing. We are commanded to proclaim our salvation and our Savior to the whole world, and yet we remain quiet. We must ask ourselves, do we exhibit such great evidence of newness of life in Christ that those who knew us before ask us what happened? Are we eager to share with others the greatest thing that has ever happened to us? Do our lives reflect the joy that is ours in Christ to such a great extent that others ask the reason for the hope that is within us? May the joy of our salvation never fade in our hearts. Reflect often on the wonder of what Christ has done for you. It is no less miraculous than what we read here about the leper in Matthew chapter 8. Indeed, it is far more so. You have not been restored physically to health. He has not taken someone who's sick and made them well. He has taken someone who was dead and made them alive. He has taken someone who is bound for hell at enmity with God and changed them to be a joint heir with himself to dwell with him in heaven for eternity. Though we were full of sin, we came before Jesus, not unbidden, and uninvited as this leper did, but at the express invitation of the Lord of glory. Beckoned by the Spirit, we came humbly in full awareness of our wretchedness and our lack of merit to earn any good thing from his hand. There was nothing in us lovely or desirable or that would earn any sort of affection from him. And yet he reached out and he touched us and he cleansed us of our sin and of our guilt. And as we read in 1 Corinthians 6, if you are in Christ, you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Will you not go and talk freely about how you were cleansed by Christ of your sin and spread the news so that others would seek out your Savior and make him their own? Will you show yourself to those around you, to those who knew you before you were a Christian, when you were yet a heathen, and let them see you as a follower of Christ, as a proof to them of what Christ can do? Whereas this man had a command to remain silent, we read in Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. A command that we find so difficult to carry out at times but it becomes markedly less so the more that we consider what Christ has done for us, the miracle that we have experienced at his hand. When we dwell on that, we can be as this leper who cannot help but go and tell everyone what Jesus Christ has done for us. Do not forget the miserable condition that he found you in, the condition that you would still be in had Christ not healed you of your greatest affliction. This is a miracle far greater than the physical healing experienced by this leper, for you are dead in sin and you are raised to life in Christ. And just as a healed leper would likely be most eager to go back to other lepers and bring them to the one who healed him, let us be eager to show those who remain in the wretched condition we were in where they can find forgiveness. And salvation and healing. For when others come to Jesus, they will find what we found. They will find what this leper found, and that is a Savior with not only the authority and the ability, but also the compassion and the willingness to cleanse them of all unrighteousness and bring them wholeness and holiness and into a right relationship with God. In our passage, we see the great authority of Christ displayed in both word and deed. In his teaching, he spoke as one with authority, and that authority was demonstrated further in his power to heal the greatest of afflictions. And this is a tremendous miracle. Yet his power is demonstrated not ultimately in the healing of those with diseases. Rather, his healing of diseases is but a precursor and a picture of his restoration of sinners. Jesus comes and begins to roll back the curse a little bit at a time until it culminates with his sacrifice on the cross. May we never lose sight of our Lord as one who has the unsurpassed authority as well as the unmatched compassion to take those who are in a wretched and miserable condition and make them clean. Remember how he did this for you. And may we make known to others how they too can be cleansed by Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for scripture, for these gospel accounts that reveal to us all the wonderful things that you did. And we recognize, Lord, that what we have in our Bibles does not tell the whole of all that you accomplished. For we read in the gospel of John how if everything that you did were to have been written down, indeed, the whole world could not contain the books that would be necessary to record them in. We see here, Lord, in your healing of the leper, not only an example of your power, your authority, your compassion, your love, but also a reminder of how you allowed us to come to you in the midst of our our sin that permeated all of us. We were full of sin, and yet you did not reject us. But in your compassion and your love, you healed us. You cleansed us from all unrighteousness by placing our faith in you and you alone for salvation. Lord, so much in this life can cause us to focus on other things. Perhaps even this leper in later life was not as eager to tell the story, not as joyful as he was in those first minutes and hours. May that not be so of us, Lord. Let us be reminded daily of the joy of our salvation. May the ordinary means of grace be a reminder to us as we read our Bibles, as we commune with you in prayer, as we gather together in worship as we take of the elements of the Lord's Supper, may all these things be a constant, continual reminder of what you have accomplished for us by your shed blood. And at great cost to yourself, you redeemed us, you made us whole, you cleansed us of our sin and unrighteousness. And you present us to God the Father with your righteousness As our clothes. Lord, help us to be joyful at all times as we reflect upon these great things that have been accomplished for us and in us by our Savior. And may that joy spill over to be an eager desire to obey the command to go and tell everyone who you are and what you have done. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.